0: Do you own your own medical practice or thinking about doing it, but you're not sure if you'd actually be good at it? As a physician, your medical journey could lead you on the path to entrepreneurship, but it might not be as easy as you think. But hey, who am I to tell you either way, because I'm crazy and I just think this entrepreneurship stuff is really fun. Now, entrepreneurs, were a unique breed. They can handle immense pressures one day and still show up the next day ready to work even harder. Many of you who currently own your own practice, you know the challenges you have faced that you probably couldn't have fathomed unless you actually experienced it. So let's talk about the lay of the land. Welcome to your financial residency, of course, without the long hours and sleepless nights. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. If this is your first time here on the show, welcome to our community. Really excited to have you here. Now, Apple... And Apple Podcasts is not the end-all be-all when it comes to podcasting, but the majority of you are listening there on Apple. And Apple tells me that 17% of you are not subscribed to our show. So the five 600 of you that are listening that aren't subscribed, welcome. Please click the subscribe button so you can join our community and be here every week, twice a week with us for our Monday and our Friday shows. Our guest today is Dr. Una, who you might have heard on her podcast Entre MD, and she's a big believer that if you can't deal with uncertainty, then entrepreneurship is going to be really tough. Now, being a business owner myself, I know the struggle is real when it comes to doing your own thing and crafting life on your own terms. Well, I guess somewhat. So, Dr. Una and I dispel some of the misconceptions of entrepreneurship and pin down some real-world advice. To help any physician start their medical practice off the right way, Doctor, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, friend. I'm super pumped that I get to be here.
0: Oh, it's pleasure's all mine. This is a topic we've never talked about on the show after like two and a half years, and I'm really pumped to talk on it because. This is something that is very useful to pretty much everyone listening because sometimes you think like, you know, maybe I should just start my own thing. What if I just started my own practice? Like the grass is always greener as you could look at it. So let's just kind of jump right into it. If a physician is going to start their own practice or is thinking about starting a practice, what kind of advice would you have for them as they're going through this thought process?
1: So the first thing I'll say is that Business skills, kind of like medical skills, are really all learnable. If you do make the decision to start a practice, the question will be you know, like, I, I've never run a business before. There's nobody in my family who's done a business. I don't have the pedigree for it. I see practices going out of business. How do I know I won't be one of them? And Maybe you're even like, I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people, which a lot of practice owners are (laughs) introverts for some reason. But what I would tell you is what I told myself when I first started 10 years ago. I was an introvert, completely introverted introvert. I didn't have any business experience. I didn't think I could pull it off, but I learned that all business skills are learnable. So you will need marketing skills to pull it off, but they're learnable. You would need to learn how to build a team but that's a learnable skill as well. You'll need to learn to manage money. Maybe profit and loss statements make you get goosebumps or want to take a nap. (laughs) But again, it's a learnable skill. And we have learned to do really impossible things. We have learned to take fluid out of a child's spinal column. When we're doing a spinal tap, we've learned how to do knee replacements, heart surgery, brain surgery, business skills, are learnable, and arguably are easier than some of the things we've had to learn. So if you decide to do it, do it. There'll be work, but you can pull it off.
0: Yeah, I think everyone listening that is a physician is significantly smarter than even they give themselves credit for in the personal financial space as well, because we start talking through these things, and you might not love it, but it is something that you can grasp. It just takes a little practice. It takes the desire to learn, and. I think entrepreneurs are, we're, we're our own breed. And we were joking offline, you know, that entrepreneurs are the crazy people that will work 70 hours to not work 40 hours for someone else. And I think <laughs> everyone else is probably going like, I'd only love to work 40 hours in the business world. Like most people only work 40 hours, but how do you know ahead of time if you would be a good entrepreneur? Cause that's what this would take. Yeah. You might've been introverted, but it's very clear, like you're a good entrepreneur. So how could someone maybe work through that on their own before signing a bunch of loans, starting a practice, all that?
1: Well, there's some telltale signs, if you will. Somebody who would be a good entrepreneur would be someone who, to an extent, is a risk taker. Because there's no guaranteed outcome, no matter how good you are. You can mitigate the risk, but it's still there. So be someone who's a risk taker. It will be somebody who is willing to learn new things. So when you're faced with a situation rather than say, Oh, I don't know that I'm forgetting about it. You'll be like, well, let's go figure it out. Let's go learn it. Let's go do a course. Let's go do something. You'll be someone who is open to learning. You'll be someone who's open to working hard. So like you said, entrepreneurs are a crazy breed. And it's funny that you say that my husband and I, we call entrepreneurs our
0: crazy friends. (laughs) Because we're all crazy. We are all crazy.
1: We are all crazy. There's no
0: safety net. It's not at all. The grass is not greener.
1: (laughs) It's not. It isn't. So if your mindset is, I'm not going to work for these people because they make me too hard, work too hard, I'm going to work for myself, then you don't want to be an entrepreneur if that's the mindset because you are going to work hard. And in the beginning, you probably work a lot harder than you would would have worked if you were working a nine to five so
0: you For have a whole to lot pay. less pay as well exactly <laughs> like non-existent almost non-existent pay pay. because you're you money in but it's going to go out to pay all the other vendors and people that are going to assist you in starting up that practice too right
1: yep so if you're not willing to do that then you probably don't want to dabble into entrepreneurship and an entrepreneur is someone who is clear who is content with not having a complete roadmap. And as a doctor, I think this was one of the hardest things for me, because you know, I go to med school, then I go to residency, then I become an attending, then it's clear what you need to do. Entrepreneurship, you may have three or four steps or maybe one or two steps, and the rest of it, you're not entirely clear on how exactly it's supposed to play out. If you can deal with uncertainty, then entrepreneurship is gonna be pretty hard. You know, so those are some of the things and, and, and then people. So and, and this may be hard for physicians because we can work with teams, but we're really good at learning stuff and doing things on our own. But as an entrepreneur, to do a really good job, you have to leverage relationships and other people you can delegate to. So, yeah, <laughs> Those are some of the things.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I hear this and I'm like, okay, educating yourself and having that thirst for knowledge that is, there's no question. Physicians can check that box, right? And you all love checking boxes. So good. You can check this box, right? You are <laughs> you love to educate yourself, work hard. I don't know of another profession that works harder than physicians work. So you could probably double check that box, right? But then I, it starts to get into the kind of the where uncertainty, right? Starts to get questionable now of like, this I think is the game changer as you're putting it, you know, the uncertainty, can you handle uncertainty, right? There's certain professions that are completely against uncertainty. CPAs, for example, they hate any (laughs) change, probably in their like daily diet, much less like entrepreneurship. So I think physicians that definitely can distinguish. And then people skills. Some people just aren't born with that. It doesn't matter what profession you're in, if you don't have people skills, it's going to be really hard to run a business, to yeah. have people respect you, and you know, to be able to effectively lead in that really well said way to put that. In starting your practice, what are maybe some of the marketing things that someone could do? Because I, I know this has got to be one of the things that people are going to have as one of their major obstacles, right? They're going to go, Okay, I can work hard, I can teach myself, I have some people skills, like people like me how the heck are people going to find me? And then the, that usually is panic, terrified, <laughs> frozen and go like, well, now I'm uncertain. Should I actually do this? So what are some maybe helpful tools or helpful things that someone could do if they're like, okay, I like this and you know, this is helpful. How can I market how people find me?
1: Well, so you hit the nail on the head. I think that's one of the hardest parts of private practice. It's not so much the clinical aspect because we've been trained for over a decade and we do our CMEs, we're good at that stuff. But it's even coming to terms with the fact that I have to market my practice at all. Because many people, we still have the mentality of hang the shingle and they will come. And I tried that strategy. I hung the shingle, they did not come. So I
0: had to figure some things out really fast. What do you mean? You build it, they will come. That's how we're always told. How does that not work? Not true. That's not quite how that works. So but there's some things
1: that can be done to, to grow a practice. But I think it starts first of all, from accepting that it's my responsibility to make people aware that I exist. You know, it's not just, I'm going to hire a company and get it. You have to take some responsibility for it. So I'll throw out a few things. And one of them, a lot of them are simple. One of them is asking for referrals. Like you had a patient, they came in and I get this every day. Oh my God, you're so amazing. I really love this practice and all that stuff. Your new habit should be as soon as somebody tells you that. You're like, I'm so glad you're having a great experience. You know, just so you know, I'm accepting new patients. So for your friends and family who are looking for a pediatrician as well, just tell them we're here. It needs to be like almost autopilot because most people love you. I would love to refer to you, but they're not going to remember to do that. It's your business, not theirs. So if you were only doing this a few times a day, it would make a huge difference because sometimes the patients are like, my doctor seems busy. I don't want to add to her busy schedule, so I'm not going to tell people that she's here. She can't possibly be accepting new patients. They don't know that you are. So that's one thing. That's you a, know, that's
0: a really good one. and that's really hard. And it's coming from like personally. Like I don't ask for referrals. It to me, I always felt it was uncomfortable, and I am not a sales type person. So I hate asking for referrals. So if a physician sitting in the audience here and going like yeah i'm with ryan on this one like it feels awkward how do you get past it and I, personally i want to know like how can i get past asking for that because i it, it still feels salesy to me and i'm just i'm not that way so how, how could how could we get over that hey everyone it's casey from physician wealth services i wanted to interrupt the show real quick with dr una to let you know that Physician Wealth Services is still taking on clients and we would love to help you get on the right financial path. If tackling your finances is an important priority and you want a financial advisor in your corner to help you make all the right financial decisions, make sure to reach out to us at physicianwealthservices.com. We are fee-only fiduciaries and help hundreds of physicians in all 50 states. So don't keep putting off taking action. Reach out to us and book a free intro call today. Okay, let's get back to this awesome interview with Dr. Una. I'll see you guys on Friday.
1: So the first way would be to stop necessarily seeing it as sales. If I'm a great pediatrician, for instance, well, I'm a great pediatrician. No modesty there. But (laughs) let's say I'm I'm a great pediatrician, and I know that there's a mom out there who has a newborn who wants a pediatrician who will support her in her journey as a new parent, would want somebody who would be able to explain to her while her child has a cold and I can't give them any medication and stuff like that. I'm actually doing that mom a disservice by not telling somebody to refer. So it's not necessarily sales. It's helping somebody who has a problem, leading them to the solution. That's really what you're doing. So if you start looking at it from the perspective of I'm helping I'm trying to make my service available so I can help people who have a problem, then it becomes a little easier to do that. So, for instance, for this podcast, we don't get medical training. We don't get business training or financial training, per se, in residency or in medical school. So what you do is so powerful that people need to hear this. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you're telling somebody you need to listen to this podcast, share it with your friends, you're actually helping. There's a million active physicians in the U.S. Maybe 30% of them know this stuff, if that. So there's another 70% that needs to hear what you're doing. So if you look at it from, a, from the point of service, then it makes it easier to do it. And then the second thing is no matter what I say, it's going to be awkward until you do it enough that it's not. So then it becomes a lot of practice and practice and practice. But from the standpoint of I'm helping.
0: I love that. It's a mindset change. And and everyone listening can't see my face, but I'm over here nodding, going like, God, that makes so much sense. And now I'm over here going, well, I was kind of dumb to think differently, but it's okay. Mindset change, we grow. And this is why I love interviewing and having people on that are just different aspects and the way that they think of things. So I, I, I love that. That's super cool. Okay. So asking for referrals, got to do it. We got to get over it. We got to have that mindset change. What else can they do to market their new practice?
1: So the other thing would be to look for people that I call centers of influence. These would be people who have access to a lot of people who would be your ideal patients. So for instance, I'm a pediatrician and OBGYNs don't necessarily compete with me for my patients, but they have access to my patients because they have the mommies. So one of the things I need to do is build a network of OBGYNs who I can, you know, meet with, lunch, coffee, whatever. Hey, I'm a new pediatrician, you know, in the area, served a lot of kids. These are the kind of reviews we're giving. We would love for you to send your mommies to us. That's a group of people that if you have one person who says, yes, I will send patients to you, then it turns out to be a lot of patients. Again, it's something that's a little nerve wracking, right? Going to build that relationship. But it's something that is a really, it'll give you a really big bang for your buck. So I had a physician colleague who started a pediatric practice and within three months she was filled to capacity because she had three OBGYN friends that were like, we'll get you busy. Networking,
0: networking, networking. It's like networking, in real estate when we say networking. location, location, location. Like it's all about networking here. So, networking, the centers and influence are obviously a huge thing to do. And this is not just unique to pediatricians. You just no. are one and you made the connection, which I appreciate to, to OBs. And there's other fields and specialties, of course, that interrelate to these things. Uh, obviously, up to you to figure out what those relationships are and how to, to yeah. form them. But, you know, when you were trying to figure this out, did you kind of whiteboard the idea? Did you write it out? Did you just naturally gifted with this? Like, how did you kind of come up with that? No, no.
1: I've I've been at this for, this is our our 10th year. So in my first year, I knew I should do the center of influence. I knew I should do the referrals, but I was the shy introvert who would not even do one-on-one conversations. So this was so hard. So in the beginning, I was very resistant to it. And the older I got, And the more I tried it, the better I got at it. One of the things that was actually huge, and I don't know that people even think of it, is the reviews. Now, we know that reviews are not really indicative that this is the best doctor. We know that. Doesn't change the fact that we live in times where people are going to check out your reviews, check out your social media and all that stuff before they choose. So in the beginning, when I started going for you know, getting a lot of reviews, I got a big influx of patients. And I'm like, so how did you find us? Oh, we saw your reviews and it became an obvious choice. And that was a trend, Hmm. you know. So a lot of doctors don't pay any attention to what kind of reviews they're getting. But then that's a big mistake. Because even if it's not true, that's your online reputation, that's your brand. And you have to pay attention to it and purposely build it like take ownership don't play defense play offense you know with your reviews
0: absolutely and i look at it from like the advisor perspective because i get hit up pretty much weekly from other advisors trying to figure out how to start a business for veterinarians or dentists or whatever and i tell them like your website because in our industry we can't actually have reviews or testimonials now someone could technically do it on yelp but we're not supposed to really do that. But the website is like your business card, right? It's someone's going to go to it. And if you have broken links and it's all janky, immediately someone's like, you can't manage your own website. How are you going to manage my finances or be able to coach me? And I think it's going to be on the same type of thing, right? If you have a good presence online that people are going to just, it's that social no like and trust factor that people yeah. are going to then be more comfortable. I get asked this question all the time. And I'm curious to know your kind of response or answer to this. So when physicians have these reviews and they don't always get positive reviews, and sometimes the patients are crazy and incorrect, we'll just put it politely here, you don't get a chance to go like make a rebuttal to this, right? Because you there's got to be HIPAA and all sorts of other stuff, right? Correct. Yeah. One, how do you have strategies around potentially stopping that before it could happen? But two... How do you recover from a really, let's say, negative or nasty review from someone?
1: So this, this is an amazing question because it comes up all the time, whether people are asking me or it shows up in a <laughs> Facebook group discussion. So first of all, you have to remember, you're an entrepreneur. Um, so don't take it personally.
0: <laughs> and that's really now, hard to do. I
1: I was going to say, having said that, it's, it, it's really hard because your your business is like your blood, sweat, and tears. It's like your little baby. It's really hard, but it's something that you do have to do. The first time I got a bad review, I probably almost cried. Like, I was sad for days. It was really bad, and I don't even remember what it was. But don't take it personally. So what you need to do is take a look, honestly. This review that was written, is there any truth in it, right? Because there's no point having a bad review, being sad about it, Waving it off, but it was an opportunity to correct something in your business that's actually wrong. So everybody's talking about the front desk person Susan. Then you need to look into the front desk person Susan. They may actually be as rude as people are writing about. So is there any truth to it? If there's a truth to it, then you go take that and go make whatever course correction that you need to make in your practice or in your business. The second thing is you need to go on the offense. So what that means is you need to be actively asking for reviews so that you have so many good reviews that the one, two, three, four bad reviews don't make you a two-star practice, right? Because the people who are annoyed, they would be writing a review without being asked. The people who are happy will tell you to your face or just think about it in their mind, but they're not necessarily racing to Google to go to go do a review for you. So you have to tell those people again who are like, you guys are amazing. I've been here for six years. Yeah, pull up your phone, Google, do it here. (laughs) <laughs> you, need to, you need to be on the offense. So there was a time in my practice where every day someone go like, oh, I went there and they wanted my copay. They're all about the money. One star review. Or I don't believe that, you know, weird things like that. I was like, okay, hold up. We, we can't do that. And we went to like three point something stars. I'm like, we're not a three star practice. So I literally had someone that just walked room to room and got reviews and we got up to 200 reviews and we're back to 4.9 stars, even though we had those other one stars. Because you can't really stop those from happening. And the truth is that when those are there, they actually make it more credible. Like if it's 200 five-star reviews, they're like, they probably paid all these people. But <laughs> if there are a few bad ones, they're like, eh, <laughs> you know. So go on the offense.
0: Yeah, how does that saying go where it's, if you haven't pissed someone off yet, you aren't successful. And even personally, like if you went to a restaurant, and had a bad experience, maybe you're not a person that goes on Yelp or whatever, but you're going to tell your friend like, man, that place sucked. Do not go, go there, there Right? <laughs> when you're bad. But when something good happens, you might still share it, but you're not as likely. And that's the same thing that happens, of course, in practices. So what you're telling me is that I should ask for referrals and then have people actually leave comments and reviews of the podcast so shameless plug now i guess i will just play along if you've enjoyed the podcast for the last two and a half years leave a review and one star is bad so don't leave those leave five stars if you like it but you can give me a glowing
1: five star review
0: (laughs) you can leave feedback if you want you can email me ryan at financialresidency.com if there's anything you want to see on the show or if i screwed something up happy to fix it but i love some of this advice that you're giving. Now, thank you so much for being here. So I'm curious, how can everyone go find out about you? And I know you have an, an amazing podcast that just launched because I just subscribed.
1: Thank you. <laughs> so the, the, the podcast is... The Entree MD podcast, and we talk all about the business of medicine. So, how to help doctors build profitable businesses so they can live life and practice medicine on their own terms. So, what I would like the audience to do is where you're listening right now, if you could just hit the search button and type in Entree MD, that's E N T R E, M as in Mary, D as in David. And you'll see my beautiful picture there. and You can just hit subscribe and I'd love to have you as part of our community.
0: Yay. Okay. So I love new podcasts and I love podcasters, especially physicians that are doing it. So I'm really excited. So guys, go check it out. I'm sure it is going to be super fun to watch your show grow and the community grow around it. Thank you so much for being here. It was really fun talking into a brand new subject.
1: Thank you so much for having me and thank you for what you do. I truly appreciate it because I wish I learned these things as a
0: resident. Really do. We're trying to get the word out. So appreciate you being here. Thank you. Well, that was really, really fun. It's time for a recap because I loved that episode. It was awesome. But there's three takeaways that I'd love for you to walk away with. And the first one is that even though you might think that the characteristics of an entrepreneur is maybe outside your personality or skill set, fortunately, business skills are learnable. You guys are physicians, some of the smartest people in our population. You guys can learn this stuff. It'll take some work, but it's nothing you can't handle if you truly want to do your own thing.
1: Business skills are learnable and arguably are easier than some of the things we've had to learn. So if you decide to do it, do it. There'll be work, but you can pull it off.
0: Takeaway number two is no matter how good you are, if you're a risk taker and you're resourceful and you're content with not having the complete roadmap and add in a tad bit of crazy, then you're <laughs> the better your position to be successful as an entrepreneur. I I was kidding about being crazy. You have to be really crazy. But overall it's uncertainty. That's the telltale sign of being able to handle the day-to-day demands of the entrepreneurship lifestyle.
1: Well there there's some telltale signs, if you will. Somebody who would be a good entrepreneur would be someone who to an extent is a risk taker. Because there's no guaranteed outcome no matter how good you are you can mitigate the risk but it's still there
0: and lastly not all doctors like to market themselves or their practice because it becomes a necessity if you want people to find you and this is some really cool advice the doctor and I had to say about putting yourself out there with existing patients
1: you know so a lot of doctors don't pay any attention to what kind of reviews they're getting but then that's a big mistake. Cause even if it's not true, that's your online reputation, that's your brand and you have to pay attention to it and purposely build it. Like take ownership, don't play defense, play offense, you know, with your reviews.
0: Moving on to one of our most popular segments is our digestible tip. And here, i just love to cover one digestible tip that'll help increase your financial acumen and maybe even cause you to take some type of action in your finances right now. Asking an insurance agent just how much money they're making off you might make some of you wanna cringe. While it's not the most comfortable subject to broach with someone you're about to do business with, it's a question you should definitely be asking. Doctors have quite a bit of insurance needs, from term insurance to disability insurance to umbrella coverage. It's very important that you understand exactly where your money is going, especially when you're shopping around for various policies. So while you're getting quotes, don't be afraid to ask specifically the type of commission the insurance agent will be making off of your policy. Not only is it in your best interest financially, it'll open your eyes up to who you really want to do business with in the long run. In addition to asking about commissions, it's also in your best interest to shop around for different quotes and make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Not every policy is the same and oftentimes the quote you're given will be based off of running the numbers in a slightly different way. But stay diligent, ask lots of questions, and you'll soon know exactly who you want to work with and what insurance policy you want to take on. To get started, check out financialresidency.com slash policy life for life insurance and financialresidency.com slash policy disability for your disability insurance. And let's segue over to our quick community update. And I'd like to highlight someone who's recently phoned into the show with a success story surrounding his investments. And while I could have shared his update by reading it, I'm happy that he called it in. Let's hear from one of our community members. Cue it up.
2: Ryan, I'm happy to report. I've accomplished so much being a listener of your show. This included reversing damage done by a Northwestern Mutual financial advisor, quote unquote. I dropped the term to 80 life insurance into more appropriate life insurance for me and my wife. I also dropped the whole life insurance and 1035 exchanged the cash value into a low-cost variable annuity to let it grow to cost basis. I also got rid of the Northwestern Mutual Disability Insurance and got true own occupation insurance. Finally, I also had a advisor-led 529 Virginia plan, which now is an eligible and cheaper 529 plan. Also, I've set up a solo 401k for my 1099 income. I've done backdoor Roth for me and my wife. Also, our estate planning documents are done. And finally, I started investing in a taxable account.
0: That is such a great job. I love hearing how well you're doing. And it sounds like you've made some really great calls. So lots of progress. So keep up the great work. And thank you so much for sharing. For anyone else that's out there listening and you have a success story that you'd like to share, please be sure to send in your recording. You can do that by going to financialresidency.com slash question. It's super easy to record. You can do it right from your phone or computer. And I can't wait to hear what you've all got. Next Monday, I'll be discussing a listener question on one of the most frequently asked questions I get. And that's, should I pay off debt or should I invest? And while I can't wait for some of you to hear my answers, because not everyone might agree with what I say. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you guys on Friday. Oh, JK, we've got the disclaimer. Now, before we end, we got to make sure, again, that we're on the same page. Now, I'm a fee-only financial planner, but I'm probably not yours. So regardless of what you liked in this show, do not make any decisions impacting your finances until you have worked with someone specifically that knows your situation. If you're having trouble figuring out where to start, find a CPA, an attorney, or reach out to us at physicianwealthservices.com. All right, everyone. Take care. Cheers.